This is Trinity Western University's Chapel Podcast, where our daily chapel gatherings are captured and shared for the TWU community. Whatever your day looks like today, we're glad you're tuning in. Today, this morning, we're in Mark chapter 10, and we'll be in verses 35 through 45. So Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked, this is Jesus. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but To sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Some unidentified sage, likely nurtured through the crucible of tumult, tragedy, and triumph, once opined this, if you don't want the fruits of sin, stay out of the devil's orchard. Obviously, it would be silly to ignore such wisdom, applicable as it is to all seasons of life, and yet it isn't that easy to operationalize in our life because we are who we are. Meaning the the biblical understanding from Genesis 3 that since the fall of Adam and Eve long, long ago, defying God in the garden, everyone, everyone, did y'all hear me? Everyone minus Jesus who has been, has been, and everyone who will be, will be marked by what is called original sin. And it isn't that this relational breach by human beings amounts to the equivalent of a a fairly immaterial moral blemish. No, that's not what we're talking about. It would be delusional to act as if, notwithstanding suffering from a slight limp, we're pretty able to get along fairly well as is. That's not what we're talking about. Sin has not simply been spray-painted onto us like graffiti. The issue is much grimmer. From the inside, rebellion is tattooed on your soul and mine. 
We are all born in sin, shapen in iniquity. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter how much affluence or poverty muddles your life, you are broken. You are broken. You are broken in a way that's absolute, in a way that is irreconcilable outside of the cross of Christ. As beautiful and baby fresh as you were as a newborn, at the core of it, no one taught you to sin. Most of us have seen this play out, especially among groups of little children. While, yes, they are still developing cognition and emotional depth and dexterity, they are still developing impulse control and higher order thinking, the minute you give one of these rascals a package of fruit snacks, another one will complain because they didn't get it first. You, you can tell them to line up, and the next thing you know, these little munchkins have started a shoving match over who is justified to be first in line. And, and that's just how it is. That's just how we all are, and that's how Jesus' disciples were. In this Mark 10 text, it begins with two ragtag, scrappy brothers, James and John. They're inquiring of Jesus to do for us whatever we ask. That's what they say. And it seems, at least to me, like an odd request that a student would make this of their teacher. But they do. And without promising anything, Jesus listens to what they have proposed. In verse 37, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Not yet entirely grasping who Jesus truly was, which the disciples excel at, it's easy for us all of these thousands of years later to see how they're striving for elevated recognition, the disciples are. Whether he would rule on earth or in some yet unrealized heavenly real estate in the by and by, given all that they had been through, I mean, you can understand, they, they wanted first dibs on the best seats, as close as possible to the new king. For them, it seemed only fair that they would get this preferential treatment. And so, as he is lovingly and firmly in verses 38 through 40, Jesus identifies with his overzealous selfish disciples, while he also establishes a clear degree of differentiation. You don't know what you are asking, he says. Stumble, as they surely do, the disciples serve Jesus, while Jesus serves at the behest of his Father. So he isn't about to go filling the seats in glory that will be closest to him all willy-nilly. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. In verse 41, we learn that upon hearing about this sequence of events, the remaining brothers, the remaining disciples, were, were none too pleased. I mean, maybe they were feeling some kind of way because they were beaten to the punch by the raw and rugged, fierce, opportunist duo of James and John. Or it could have been that they were just frankly upset that these sons of thunder, the, the sons of Zebedee, had humiliated the entire group 
in front of their teacher with such a boneheaded, emphatic demand and outlandish interrogative. That, that could be what was at stake. Either way, they were hot like lava. And we know this because we're told in the text they became indignant. As if to jar them out of their immaturity, Jesus teaches them that whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. It shouldn't then be a shock to your system for me to talk to you just for a little while about service. Author and creative arts director at One Community Church in Plano, Texas, where her husband is the lead pastor, a woman by the name Jada Edwards is also a remarkable Bible teacher, and something I heard her say recently stuck out to me, and it's this. Obscurity is a beautiful thing. Obscurity is a beautiful thing. I'm, I'm sorry to say this. This isn't a value that the disciples embrace, but, but we're no different. If we're honest, we too are real thirsty for popularity and prestige, and preference. And it isn't like our, our living room mantles are chock full of awards for so fervently serving others. Partly because we, speaking of Christian community, we're, we're more concerned about being great on our terms. The problem is we want to lead, but we don't want to follow. The problem is, everybody wants to be great, but while being allergic to serving. I'm just going to say that again, because y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. Everybody wants to be great, but everyone is allergic to serving. As far as Jesus is concerned, however, greatness is measured not by mere intellectual acumen. It's not measured by power or material or physical assets, but service. In other words, in the final consummation of life as we know it, you won't be nearest to Jesus unless you follow his example. Verse 45, of not coming to be served, but to serve. You are a unique and precious gift before the Lord. Believe me, so it isn't that you should grind yourself into dust in an overly busy worker bee type of mentality. Rather, it's out of love that you have received from God that you should maintain a posture of attitude, determined to be a blessing over and above you receiving blessings. Now, earlier in Mark 10, beginning with verse 1, Jesus speaks on the sacred seriousness of marriage. That even though the Bible presents a, a narrowed allow, allowance for just divorce, just divorce, just divorce, like biblical divorce, there's, there's a whole other conversation, but even though it's presented uh, that there's this allowance, this narrowed allowance for just divorce, the covenant is nonetheless understood as one man leaving his mother and father to be united to his wife, no longer two, but one flesh, joined together by God. So in connecting these two topics, divorce, which he speaks of, and service, 
or marriage rather, in, in service, I'm, I'm just presenting that I'm easily convinced that part of the reason divorce is so normative for us today is that it stems from a, de a deficit in the desire to serve. That said, women often enter marriage predisposed or oriented toward serving. Hang in there with me. Hang in there with me. I don't mean that boys are made of snips and snails and puppy dog tails and that girls are made of sugar and spice and everything nice. That's not where I'm going. But I do mean that on average, girls who then become women, some of whom then become wives, frequently enjoy a superior gradation of intrinsic and instructed readiness to serve. But that's not always the case with men. We tend to need remedial intervention. So, young ladies, you're, if you're a young lady here, just wave your hand a little bit, shout, do something like you're alive. All right, a couple people. So, young ladies, um, I'm going to give you a recommendation. It's unsolicited because you didn't ask for it, but you're about to get it this morning. This is, this is it. Only say yes to a man who prioritizes demonstrating servant leadership. Okay. <laughs> If he is not serious about serving God and serving others because he serves God, beyond the fanfare of premarital negotiation and beyond newlywed bliss, he is not about to seriously serve you. And you should run from such men. You should not entertain such men. In marriage and beyond, the people that you can count on the most you will learn, are marked with a deep reservoir of godly character. It isn't about the flashy quant uh, qu quantity of their gifts, but the quality of their commitments. What, what kind of life, then, with you and God does this young man desire? This is something that you should be praying through and that you should see some tangible evidence toward. Will he be all about what you can do for him, or will he be about what he can do for you as the chief servant of your family? These are things you need to ponder. And since I'm an equal opportunist, it's, it's only right that the young men get some of this too. So they are next on the docket. Young men, are y'all here? Are y'all here? Okay, appreciate that. So, so let me echo Jesus's admonition that his followers are to be different. In verse 43, he says, not so with you. None of us should lord anything over anybody, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. If serving, young men, the woman you propose to is a faint or fleeting yearning, then you, you really need to reconsider if at least right now you're even ready to enter a lifelong relationship of which it will be declared what God has joined together, let no one separate. With Jesus as the unparalleled standard for us to follow, I want you to let me use my life to point you toward him. Is that all right? Okay. I was going to do it anyway, but Trish trying to get some interaction. So, 
Uh, I'm not saying that you need to be like me, so I just want to be clear. But, but if you've been saved by him, then you better be like Jesus. And Jesus, as it's pretty clear in the text, came to serve. So, here I go. After parking, I walk around to the passenger seat to open the door for my wife. And, and I know that's old school, but I'm old school. And, and since, hey, praise the Lord. Oh, y'all got a little up for that. And not just that, since I keep an umbrella in our back seat for such occasions, um, if it's raining, I show up on her side with an umbrella at the ready so I can make sure she stays dry. And, and it's, it's not that I have to, it's that I want to because I want to serve. In our 13-year marriage, my wife has pumped gas, and I'm not kidding, you can ask her, maybe six times. 13 years, six times. And, and that's only the six times if I'm out of town for more than a few days. What, what I do is I keep an eye on her gas gauge, and then as needed, sometimes once, sometimes twice during the week, I'll just fill up her gas. I don't have to. Of course, she's more than capable of filling up her own gas. I don't have to, but I want to because I want to serve. I shovel snow. I fold laundry and I carry groceries inside of the house. Not because I have to, but because I want to, I want to serve. I've tried to establish in our household that there is no question as to who is going to be the chief servant because it's going to be me as her husband and even more as a Christian, I am called to serve. There's this, this small appliance uh, that it, it has this metal plate, and, and when it's heated, you can press it against clothing to bring wrinkles into submission. It's called an iron. Well, I iron whatsoever clothes in our household between my wife and I that need to be ironed. I cook many of the meals in our household. I wash many of the dishes in our household. I bring my wife soup if she's feeling under the weather. I send her flowers and leave handwritten notes of encouragement for my wife. And even though I think it tastes like burnt water, I have been known to surprise my wife with coffee because it sometimes can brighten her day. I'm far from perfect. Again, Jesus is the divine archetype. I just know that a posture of servitude is medicine for my soul, and I, I want my wife to feel the favor of God in how I sacrifice for her. Whether we marry or not, whether we in life have children or not, or study business or kinesiology or physics, whether we are a faculty member or staff among Christians, we need a re revival with regard to serving. Just like he did back then with his disciples, the invitation is open today from Jesus. It remains the same this morning. The invitation is that you would become someone who serves. Amen? Amen. Amen. You all are welcome to go in peace. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that this message has challenged encouraged and inspired you as we continue learning and growing together in discipleship to Jesus. Every week you'll find new chapel messages on our channel from local and international speakers ranging in diverse and engaging topics. So go ahead and subscribe for the latest of what's going on in chapel. Much love.
and happy listening.